Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report podcast. I'm your host, Vago Maradian, from the Farnborough International Air Show, meeting in person for the first time in the past four years. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell since 1935. Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. Before we get started, our global coverage is sponsored by Leonardo DRS. Fortress Information Security sponsors our weekly cyber report, and Northrop Grumman supports our cyber coverage overall. General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our coverage of strategy, ultra-intelligence and communications, sponsors our command and control coverage, and we are a Farnborough International Air Show media partner, and our coverage of Britain's leading air show is sponsored by Farnborough International and Leonardo DRS. Later in the program, a roundup of day two at Farnborough. But first, we met with Ted Colbert, the president and CEO of Boeing Defense, Space and Security. Here's our conversation with Ted Colbert. Ted, thanks so very much for joining us. It's a very busy uh, Farnborough Air Show, and we appreciate you making time for us. Yeah, indeed. It's uh, great to be with you. It's great to be at Farnborough after several years of uh, challenging environmental issues that we've had, uh, whether it's the pandemic or uh, the other things that we've all faced together and, and the current environment we're in. So uh, that makes being here that much more special. Uh, it, it does, as long as we're not at one gigantic super spreader event. But hey, if it happens after Farnborough, then we're like, hey, that's okay. I was on vacation anyway. Um, I, I want to start off. Um, you're um, obviously coming to the job sure. with a breadth of experience, also from the software and the digital side of the business. You're an engineer. There's, uh, We have complimented that on our program uh, repeatedly and the importance of having that. Um, but you have a you have a challenge on your hands. Um, you know, when you met with reporters, you talked about lessons being learned. And indeed, if you're not learning the right lessons, you're not able to make the right cultural decisions that get you to, to the other side of this. From your standpoint, as, as you've looked across the portfolio, some people say, well, they had too much of a profit focus, they squeezed too much, they cut corners. Sure. Um, you know, there were other cultural factors. From, from your standpoint, what were the lessons? Sure. How is it you got here as you build that plan sure. to, to, to get you to an overall better place? Absolutely. You know, I think it's important to sort of um, sort of rewind the game clock just a little bit because we were in a different place, different context before uh, the pandemic happened. As if you recall, uh, the company was on a very significant growth, growth path, uh, both on the commercial and defense side of the businesses, um, aspirations for very high rates on the commercial side, you know, growth around the world, all for the right reasons. Uh, aspirations for growth in the defense business, aspiration for growth in the services business. And uh, that was all reflected through uh, the strategies that we put in place uh, and the investments we put in place, the priorities, the focus on people, et cetera. And then uh, we, you know, as, as far as sort of moving forward with that, we want a bunch of really big programs on the defense side of the business. Knowing, knowing that the capabilities that we set out to win would be extremely important to the future of defense on a global scale going forward. And so we invested in that thought process. If you fast forward just a little bit, we had a pandemic happen. Um, actually, you go back before that. We had uh, two very, very unfortunate uh, crashes uh, on the commercial side of our business. Then we had a pandemic happen. And all the things that began to create challenges for us around those very significant events, um, you know, amplified all of the challenge that was placed in that original growth strategy. And so as we come out of that, um, as we come out of that with challenges in supply chain, 
um, <clears throat> continued challenges with the pandemic um, and all of the things that those created, um, it's, it's, a, it's a tough world to be in, in any business, right? In any business. So back to the point of lessons learned. If you go back, growth strategy, all the things that you focus on, you know, things around growth. And then when you get on the other side of a pandemic, um, you, you have to execute and deliver on all the things that were in, in sort of in that roadmap. And, um, and so we did several things differently. Uh, we learned about the importance of our safety management system and focusing on that. Uh, we've implemented that across the company uh, on all three businesses. I meet with my team every single week on safety. Um, in addition to the focus on safety, and actually as part of it, uh, we put in place this uh, approach called Seek, Speak, and Listen, which I'm sure you've heard about. Uh, speak, seek, Speak, and Listen is both uh, an, an approach that we take as leaders on an ongoing basis, but it's also a system that we have in place that allows people to speak up when they see things that don't look right to them, things that they're not comfortable with. We also review those on a weekly basis. And as a leader of the company, I dig into things and understand more about what people are saying and hearing. And if I think there's sort of, you know, there's, there's fire where there's smoke, we go dig in and, and we find out what the real challenges are there. And so the safety management system is really the, a pull through uh, of a cultural transformation around open culture, transparency, realism, um, amplifying our existing, I'll just say existing, and, and a focus around safety that we've already had from a people and product perspective. Um, I'd say the other thing is, uh, you've heard about our coring up of engineering. Um, engineering, a very, very important part of how we get things done. We are an engineering company, uh, and so getting all of our engineers in one place, amplifying the importance of core skills and competencies in engineering, um, rolling out design practices uh, and uh, making sure that everyone's trained the, the right way um, in the context of their business, another game changer. And that's, you know, it, that will help to improve the quality um, and timeliness of our products going forward. And then as a leader, um, you know, being an advocate for every day uh, for all these topics uh, through the, the operating rhythm that I have with the team, uh, the things that we focus on, especially from a transparency and speak up perspective uh, and, and how we measure success. Um, success today is not just measured, and it wasn't just measured in the form of revenue and margin, uh, but we look, at, we look at a balanced view of how the culture of the organization is evolving from an engagement perspective, how we're performing operationally from a safety, quality, and productivity perspective, and how, how those things are inputs for our financial results. Um, and so my, and, and I've lived this my entire life in, in every company I've worked for, um, financial results are exactly that, they're results. The work that you do on the inputs to the results are the things that absolutely matter the most, and that is where we're spending most of our time. But, but there are folks who would look at it and say, well, KCE 46, for example, predates yes. that. Yes. Um, some of the other program challenges, m much smaller on T7, even though that's a new program and it had a little bit of a, a, a blip and challenge on it. You have Air Force One. Yeah. I mean, there have been other sorts of challenges kind of across the piece. I remember going all the way back to Wedgetail, how that was problematic. It's paying off, yeah, yeah. paying off now. From, from your standpoint, yeah. is there a shift in sort of spend money to save money. I mean, I hate to bring back kind of a, a Harry Stone cipher, but Harry occasionally would say like, right, make time to waste time with your team. Yeah. Just like he said, sometimes you have to spend money to save money. Yeah. Does that, is there a different sort of, um, right, that maybe being a little bit too thrifty ended up being 
problematic. I mean, that's one of the senses in the company that there was too much margin pressure. Is there a readjustment? Obviously, you want to have a successful enterprise, yeah. but then it becomes very problematic if yeah, you're yeah. piling up charges and you've yeah. got your boss looking at you going, Ted, man, what's up? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can't speak to exactly how that all played out, but I will tell you for sure, um, the way that we move forward is to invest in the right places, whether it's people, facilities, product. Um, I spent time and I'll talk about one of our facilities uh, toward the end of last year, beginning of this year, uh, and sort of walked around and said, you know, um, things like, you know, how bathrooms look matter. You know, they set tone for how people feel about the environment they work in. Um, <clears throat> and every bathroom in this in this facility uh, should be spotless. It should have every, all the ta and all these little things. And so people are like, well, why why is that important to you? Because it's tone setting for the culture and the environment. And uh, and so we you know shifted some some help to that team so they could do what they need to do. And they felt artificially constrained for whatever reason. I don't know how and why they got there, uh, but we are going through every day, day by day. Of solving problems like that, solving challenges like that, and opportunities like that, that 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 sort of you know project out the type of culture and environment we want, you know. Um, so that's it's interesting you say that because um, a number of people who you work with, yes. um, uh, I'm not saying this by way of false sure. flattery, sure. but that you have an openness um, and they like that. It's not a judgment on any you know sure. your predecessor or, or anybody else. Yeah. As you look at cultural engineering in the company, yeah. right, you're using very much of a broken window approach, right? Take care of the small details yes. and you're setting the culture and the tone more broadly. What is your focus and how much of this cultural engineering that you're doing on the BDS side yeah. is also sh uh, shared by Stan Deal on the uh, yeah. Boeing commercial side, right? Sure. Because in a sense, you could see some of the sim some similarities and approach that got you to those problems. Yeah. I, probably this is a better Dave Calhoun question <laughs> to be asking. Uh, but from from your standpoint, right? Talk to us about the the way you're engineering that culture yeah. change, yeah. Um, and and how you're working this with your counterpart and the lessons you're drawing from Stan also, because some of these are are similar potential challenges. Oh, absolutely. I will tell you, um, there, there are several examples and types of examples I could give you. I'll tell you one thing that um, we have all uh, evolved to very quickly that I think is another really important cultural tone setter. The way that we communicate and make decisions uh, super important. There's obviously a lot of structure around the big decisions that we make. Uh, there's a lot of you know programmatic gating, etc. But there are a whole bunch of other things that we need to make decisions about that need to move at a different pace. Um, we work traditionally in a hierarchy um, that, you know, how the hierarchy works. If you need to get something done, you sort of go up the hierarchy, back down the hierarchy, and you come back around. And, you know, after it sort of lobs back and forth a couple times, maybe you get closer to the decision. Uh, we are all pushing towards less of a hierarchical view of how we get things done on certain things to more of a network-based approach, which is, I got an issue with you, Vago. I'm going to call you and we're going to get it worked out really quickly. It doesn't matter what level you are in the company, who you report to. We need to solve very quickly versus me going and talking to the three levels of management above me who talk to the three levels of management with you and sort of makes its way back around the system. That is a tone setter for how we get things done. Um, instead of having things always done in the event-driven quarterly, monthly rhythm, make the phone call tomorrow. Stan and I talk constantly on issues. There's no wait for the meeting. Let's pick up the phone and, and make the call. Now, that has been part of our culture in some ways going back, but it's, I would say, and this is Ted's personal perspective, um, we've got to amplify that to every part of the organization. 
you know, we work that way really well. And the, the small, it's a smaller group of folks, but we've got to get the whole system, thousands of people operating at speed and pace uh, through the way that they communicate around challenges and decisions and sharing those across the, the business. We, uh, the other example I'll give you is um, the same site that I talked about before. The person that helped us solve problems in that site came from Stan's team. We called him and said, look, there are a bunch of issues we're having here that we think you all used to have in Everett. Can you come out and show us how to fix them? Got on a plane, came out. We started solving problems within hours and days versus months and years. What was the problem? <laughs> it, was, it was around um, how we look at uh, tooling. It was a challenge around getting tooling to the right people, the right place at the right time. Um, and, uh, and we solved it uh, pretty quickly without going into a whole bunch of details. But it was a, it was a constraint for the team's ability to move at pace and, and be productive. You know? And so uh, it, was a, it was a good example of working together. Uh, not everything is an XCOM issue, right? Uh, at the <laughs> exactly. at the end of the day, exactly. you know. Let, let's let's take a memo on that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's a great point. One of the yeah. um, the the relationship with your primary customer, the United yeah. States Air Force, um, you know, did get strained over KC forty six about yeah. over Air Force One uh, a little bit, uh, where where you would like to get redress, and I think the <laughs> the department's perspective is you bid it for what you bid it on. Um, yeah. You know, we're, how would you characterize the relationship that you now have? You know, there's a question that did yeah. come up. You know, you yeah. said you're open to spicy questions. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, how would you characterize your relationship with um, Secretary Kendall, yes. uh, Andrew Hunter? Uh, you know, General Brown and, and indeed General Raymond, because you guys are such an important space uh, sure. contractor. I mean, is, is there a building process? Do you feel you're on the other side of that? Um, just give us a sense on that. Look, I think that we all have the same mission in mind. That is the first thing to be really clear about. Uh, we are all mission focused. Uh, I think that there is, you know, I've actually, all the people you just mentioned, I've actually talked to within the last 48 hours. And in every discussion that I've had with them has been about acknowledging where we are and being very, very partnered in how we move forward. Um, we have some bright spots in our relationships and we have some areas where we can make some improvements. And the areas in my first sort of 90 days or so that I've spent time in more with more depth, we've made very fast uh, progress with regard to uh, being more partnered and less transactional. Um, and when I say partnered, I mean, let's all put the goal in front of us. Uh, let's determine what we all believe to be uh, the constraints or challenges to achieve that goal. We're not going to agree on everything, but let's get the healthy fact-based debate on, on the table and then make some decisions, understand the trades, and live with what we have to live with. Um, and, and that's the approach that we're going to take you know, going forward. And, and, uh, and they all agree to that, and they all uh, want us to move at, at pace uh, because of the environment that we're in. Um, so, you know, I think the relationships are moving. They've been strong for a long time. I, I will not, I can't say that we've had that strong relationships with our, our customers and our partners there. I think that the, the challenges that we've had uh, that, that everyone knows about, obviously, you know, put strain on those relationships. And, and you have to sort of move your, yourself back down the pendulum toward partnership and not and keep yourself from getting transactional. A transactional relationship between us and our Air Force customer does no good for the broader mission. It just slows it down. And so everyone wakes up every morning knowing that the more we partner, the more we stay connected, the more that we deal with each other transparently in both directions, the faster we achieve the missions that we have on the table in every way that you, in every program you just described. 
Let me um, let me take you. You know, you you yeah. talked a little bit about speed, and yeah. you come from um, a software digital background yeah. where speed was uh, of the essence. We talked a little bit about that uh, when sure. we last physically saw each other sure, in sure, Dubai, sure. Sure. Uh, sure. and uh, where we uh, interviewed when you were at Global Services. Um, Everybody is talking about the importance of going faster. Yeah. Um, we've heard that from Secretary Candle. Accelerate, change, or lose is sure. uh, the byword by the chief. And uh, General Raymond really has the same mindset of moving very, very quickly. Mike Wigston, mm -hmm. uh, the RAF chief, is doing an extraordinary job to drive speed and, and innovation. Uh, and indeed, the chief, uh, Chief Brown, rolled out his integrated by design uh, initiative to try to get allies and partners on the same sheet, at least a common core architectural approach, uh, which was a fascinating moment at the Global Air, Chiefs, Air and Space Chiefs Conference. From your standpoint, what are the keys to faster and better integration? Because if you, you look at it, I mean, despite your challenges, you guys have won a series of major contracts, 60 Chinooks uh, yeah. displacing uh, Sikorsky, who mm -hmm. um, was really looking forward to the 53K uh, going into service in Germany to replace the 53s in service. So you guys have been winning business all around the world. Congratulations on Wedgetale. It's finally yes. under contract with the United States. How would you, what are the keys from your standpoint to both speed as well as greater integration because I have a supply chain follow-up I want to ask you on that. Sure, absolutely. So, look, my, um, my back to your, your point around my background, background experience, um, every program I ever started, uh, ever was successful on, uh, was it started right. Um, starting a program right is about the setup of the program. It's about establishing very clearly the relationships uh, that need to be in place for the program to be successful. It starts well with being clear about the assumptions that we're making going into the program and being able to track uh, the, the performance of those assumptions over time. Um, it starts right with uh, having a culture that is mission focused. And like I said before, a partnership model, less a transactional model. And so um, from my perspective, going forward is all, that's how you drive speed. That, that's from a programmatic perspective, at least my view of the world. The contracting piece, people bring that up all the time. Like I can't, Contracts are going to be, we're going to set a contract, and it's going to be what it is. My ability to go change that later is, is much more challenging uh, if I don't start, start it off the right way. The other element of this, and I'll change channels really quickly, is how we do work going forward uh, with regard to technology. Our work around model-based engineering is a fundamental game changer going forward. Starting off with a model base of any product allows for speed and agility down the entire value chain, whether it's the design, engineering, manufacturing, supply chain, or services processes. It allows you to use a common definition of the product. Um, it allows you to simulate and model uh, different solutions for manufacturing, different solutions for servicing. It allows you to model the supply chain and create connectivity into the supply chain so that you have visibility into what's working and what's not. And then on the services side, it takes advantage of all that data to drive predictability and performance uh, during the mission and, and during the sustainment period. And then for all of it, it provides a feedback loop back to our engineering and design folks as to what they can do better uh, going forward. That's speed, and we've actually seen that on our program, on T7 and others. It'll, it, you know, when you design from a model base, you, you're sharing the model data back into the supply chain, and they're building off of the same database as you are. Think about the traditional method of doing that. I mean, that is a, a very heavy overhead-laden process that has all kinds of opportunities for uh, non-value add and quality issues. Uh, and so 
those are just that's just I could I could unpack the whole value stream for you, but I won't. Right. <laughs> but we'll, but we'll do are, a separate program on that. That is just those are just some examples of how you think about that. And from a so then you get into testing using model and simulation versus physical testing. It's more testing and proving to ourselves that that testing using digital um, proves the point, and we can save money on flight tests and all kinds of other tests that happen further downstream. So. Those, those methods will work. Uh, we've proven some of them and we'll continue to prove them uh, going forward. The model basis also informs the ability to use additive capability uh, in the services world. We should be printing support equipment and printing parts we can qualify, you know, et cetera. So anyway, I could go on and on about this one. A huge opportunity. Uh, lightning round because yes. we're, I mean, we're about to get the hook. Let's go. Uh, yeah. uh, two, uh, two and a half questions. First, yes. um, commercial side of the business has had challenges. Yeah. Obviously, commercial has been a very important banker yes. uh, to underwrite uh, both your investment, your acquisitions. Yeah. Uh, are, you, are you still going to get the financial support from Dave Calhoun when you need it to spend money to make money? Dave Calhoun is, Dave Calhoun is committed to the portfolio that we have, and we will invest in places we know our customers need in the mission and places where we know we can grow you know, in a, in a fair and profitable way. Uh, let me ask you uh, broadly, one of the things I know you've been spending a lot of time on yes. is what a, what, not just on combat aviation, right? What are, what does space look like? Um, as somebody once told me that you're trying to get your head and screw it into 10, 15, 20 years from now, right? Yeah. As you look forward, what do you see across this? I know you're bringing a lot of data and engineering sure. and digital design to it, but what are the trends that you're seeing? What's the yeah. hockey puck you guys are, are, are skating toward? I think, you know, I'll just say autonomy everywhere. Um, it informs everything from seabed to space. And so developing the capabilities and the skills, the connectivity, the open architectures, uh, both within the company, with our partners, with the customer, will matter, that'll be everything going forward. Um, and you think about that in space, again, you think about that with fighters, you think about that you know, underwater and everything in between. Um, we, are, we are putting a lot of energy and focus um, on autonomy, and that is the connectivity, um, the technology that actually goes in the products and make it happen, uh, how you keep it secure, uh, and how it achieves missions that are very commercial and missions that are very non-commercial, very classified. And so um, I think there is a, a world of opportunity there for us and for everyone. And you know, from a business model perspective, I think that we'll all be working and partnered um, the, the competitive structure is just going to blossom um, over the next decade because that's what will be required. Uh, and the data uh, shall set you free. Uh, <laughs> right, because we were talking about, right, yes. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's all uh, about data. Last question. Yes. Um, inflation is a challenge for everybody. Yes. Supply chains are a challenge for everybody. Yes. Um, right now, you know, the, your customer is looking at you and saying, hey, yes. Ted, surge me some harpoons, yes. and you're going, Sure, um, right, what are some of the things you guys are doing? How are you handling this? Uh, and what's the inflation impact? Because at the end of the day, at some point, you're gonna have to readjust some contracts yes. if your customer allows you to, but I think there are specific clauses in the contract <laughs> on that. If the customer allows us to, of course. I mean, we've gotta make sure that we can pay people a fair wage and we can invest in the future. That is imperative to both us and our customer. Um, we are doubling down on the recruiting side of our business. Uh, we are, our, our managers are taking even more responsibility for 
working in their markets and going out and recruiting the next generation of talent. We're continuing to invest in, invest in the communities around um, our facilities and building the next generation of the STEM workforce. Um, huge investments going on there. And then uh, inside the company, we're, we've adjusted incentive programs to help people know how important they are. And this is all performance-based, right? How important they are to the company. Uh, there is a roadmap for developing their careers. And, uh, and that's how we're you know, trying to retain folks. In the supply chain, uh, we're working with our suppliers to be clear about what our priorities are, recognizing and acknowledging, and frankly, having empathy for the fact that they're going through the same thing that we're going through with many of the same challenges. And um, again, it's back to that partner model. The partner model goes both ways. You know, um, I can't continue to beat up a supplier when I know they're going through the same thing we are. We've just got to sit down and prioritize the work that we're doing um, and figure out, you know, how to move forward. So um, those are real impacts. Um, we are determining, you know, how that plays out, especially from a wage escalation perspective. We're being as transparent as we can uh, to our government customer about how it's impacting us. We're asking for the same transparency from the supply chain. I just met with one of our suppliers this morning. I said, show me where we were, show me where we are today, and show me the walk in a fact-based way so I can figure out, you know, how to express this as the integrator to the broader world and, and determine a way, a partner way of moving forward. So big challenges there. They, these are really big challenges. Like I can't emphasize how much, as you said, these are big, big challenges because we're sort of locked in in a world that's changing much faster uh, than the vehicles that we have to make change uh, on the contracting side. How do you address the sort of the munitions challenge, right? I mean, that's a big thing and everybody's calling for it. Yeah. And folks are saying, well, it'll take me four years to facilitize and get there, assuming we can even get what we, how, how do you work that part of it? Because this is a real good dress rehearsal, God forbid, for China, right? So that we could hit the hammer and be able to surge. I know you've had some conversations with senior leadership on that. What's the way ahead in terms of how you're visualizing how you guys do that? Well, first, you know, the world is moving very fast. There are a lot of dynamic challenges. We are we just stay completely in lockstep with our customer uh, in, in that space. We're proud of our missile and weapons business, very proud of it. Um, we're going to continue and invest in it. Um, and to the degree that the demand signal changes, we will do whatever we can to, I'll just say, compliantly get creative about how we serve the need. And, uh, and that will be informed from, our, from the customer. Uh, and that's, that's about all I can go into there. But it is, uh, it's a business that we're proud of and, and the team is, is working to be as agile as possible uh, to serve the needs of the customer. Ted, thanks very much. Really appreciate it. You were very generous with your time and I uh, hope you have a great farm break. Thank you for the time. It's awesome, as usual. Yes. And joining us now is my good friend, Richard Abalafia of the Aerodynamic Advisory Consultancy with a little bit of uh, a roundup of day two here at Farnborough. Richard, thanks so very much for joining us. Great to see you, Vago. Good to be here. Uh, and congratulations uh, are in order. Thanks so very much uh, for your role in uh, us winning uh, the best digital uh, submission for the uh, annual Aerospace Media Awards. Uh, it was a true honor, and I'm glad that Satchitusa of Agency Partners was able to celebrate with us. It's great to see you. Uh, and hopefully Ron Epstein, Dr. Rocket Ron Epstein of Bank of America Merrill Lynch joins us uh, tomorrow. Uh, 
a couple of things that I want to uh, get your sense on. But first, you know, Lockheed had a little bit of a tough day, uh, company disclosing its aviation outlook. Give us your sense on, on what the numbers uh, said. Um, you know, Byron Callen of Capital Alpha Partners and I were on the train this morning going in, and he was looking at some of this and going like, hmm, I think this is going to be interesting. Give us your sense on what the company was saying, because uh, the company stock did take a beating. Well, in addition to a few financial complications related to pension and whatever else, the most serious thing that happened, I think, was the uh, guidance for the F-35, you know, 156 was seen as a kind of temporary ceiling that would be circumvented because the market is there for more planes than that. The uh, national security rationale for many of the foreign countries and, of course, the U.S. was there for more planes than that. But then they lowered guidance for the next couple of years to somewhere in the 147 to 153 range, which means that supply chain problems are playing a bigger role and a very unpleasant role. And that uh, sort of upended a bunch of assumptions. One is how quickly they could get to, well, obviously 156 and then beyond that, because the natural number is really more like 180 or something like that. Uh, There's also concerns, of course, of the competition, particularly Rafael getting in there with some export orders on the basis of this uh, diminished availability, diminished slot availability. And then on top of that, um, you had this feeling that they were supposed to be the priority of the aerospace supply chain, even though the commercial side and other defense programs might be a little bit delayed, at least the F-35, at least we could get the new revised expectations right. And that has proven not to be the case. Certainly a challenging environment. And uh, a lot of the CEOs obviously have been talking about challenges uh, on supply chain uh, across uh, presentations here at this great air show. Um, let me uh, take you to some of the key takeaways. You know, a, a number of announcements, um, news from Embraer. Uh, we also had an announcement by Boeing that they've achieved a fully autonomous uh, capability for the KC-46, something that they've been working on. Uh, maintaining they're going to get an Air Force certification saying that Airbus has that capability, but I think it's through the Singaporean authorities. Give us your sense on what sort of the biggest news of the day was uh, coming out of this air show. Yeah, it was a it was a really interesting day. You know, I mean, everyone was expecting um, the Delta order, but of course, the additional order from Triple Seven Partners is certainly a nice increase, especially since it uh, surprisingly now appears to be falling show in terms of raw numbers. Also, uh, it's been a while since Embraer had gotten any kind of uh, significant E2 and and also 175E1 orders. So it was good to see them get uh, more than a couple dozen. That was certainly good news. A220 also got an increase, and uh, that was welcome news. Um, On the uh, on, there's still exactly the EV toll frenzy that everyone had predicted, but the numbers were enormous with uh, Embraer announcing hundreds. uh, And, you know, the good news is that if anyone's going to win this EV toll game, it's probably going to be an established airframer that really knows certification like Embraer. Um, And then another news um, sort of almost in the the bizarre boom, the, uh, the overture supersonic Concorde replacement was redesigned, re-announced, and looked uh, mysteriously like a B-58 bomber, which was, I guess, good from an anecdotal standpoint, if not from an actual industry and commerce standpoint, but great fun. And I should say, you're just a huge fan of supersonic travel. Yeah, I mean, it's the perfect answer to a question that really not many people had asked, but uh, yeah. Uh, our, our mutual friend, Dr. Adam Polarski would of course disagree, but alas, uh, we know where you stand on that. Um, but uh, you're right. I mean, it's about, I understand that the march of aviation takes you towards speed, but your sense is it's ultimately too expensive, uh, you know, for an enterprise, uh, even if you have a larger fleet, for example, than you did Concorde and you design it with modern technology. 
Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. Ultimately, yes, you could put a few dozen planes instantly into service overnight on New York, London, New York, Paris, Washington, New York, Washington, London, whatever. But what do you do beyond that? Because there simply aren't enough premium full fare first class passengers uh, and, and on enough routes to justify the production of a bespoke supersonic aircraft. And you couple that with the fact that, frankly, it seems a little tone deaf because everyone else is uh, pushing sustainability. Everyone else is pushing, well, what do we do? What do we do in order to meet the environmental challenges? And here is just uh, burn more fuel and lots of it for rich people. Not so sure it's the best message. Richard, thanks so very much. Really enjoyed it, uh, as always, and looking forward to having the roundtable together on Sunday to chew all of this, uh, because obviously it's it's a lot of news packed uh, into a couple of days. Thanks so much. It's really my pleasure. And most of all, uh, congratulations on the great award again. Congratulations to you, Richard. We couldn't do it without you and the team doing it. Thanks so much.